Hello and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I chat to people who inspire me about sport, business and mindset. Today, my special guest is Luke Hallam from Ocean Heroes. Ocean Heroes is a uh, charity for kids with autism and they try and take them surfing to help build them mentally and physically and help them with their environment. Luke, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Boothie. Uh, stoked to be a part of it. I've been watching uh, quite a few of them before and seeing some of the crew on there, like Stimo and Geordie. I think it's really cool. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it's been a really cool experience to actually get this Boothcast off the, off the ground and it's been um, really cool just hearing everybody's stories. So um, with your story, let, let us know where it all started. So how old are you, where are you from and how did you get involved in sport? Yeah, so um, I just recently turned 30, the, the dreaded 30. Um, I know you'll give me a bit of crap about that, but yeah. you're not too far away, mate. Um, no, I'm still 29. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, I grew up in Perth, um, Western Australia, and, um, you know, awesome place to grow up. And I grew up really close to the beach, and um, I've always kind of been around the ocean, and um, I've always surfed and, and uh, always been involved with sport. And I think as well, like Perth, um, if you're not involved in the ocean in some way, there's no real reason to live here. Like we have the best beaches in the world, um, but we are very, very far away from everywhere else, as you know now, living here. It's very isolated. It sort of fits the time. Yeah, yeah. good time to be isolated. That's yeah. right. So, um, so you're born in Perth, you grew up here. Um, tell us a bit about like your sporting background, because obviously you grew up, you said you were playing footy and, and doing a host of different things. Yeah, so like footy is religion here in Perth and um, I grew up playing footy down the road in City Beach and um, I loved it. It was so good. Um, unfortunately, I had a, a real big growth spurt when I was 12 and I was pretty much this height when I was 12. So I was like the ruckman pretty much year seven, eight, nine. Um, yeah. And then as everyone else through, through school grew, I kind of went from ruckman to ruck rover. And then by year 12, I was playing like forward pocket, back pocket, but it never really stopped my love for the game. I, I just, I loved it. And I actually moved into coaching um, and I, I coached a couple of different kind of uh, under 13s, under 14s teams, and I just loved it. Um, football is such a huge part of our community here in Western Australia. And, you know, it's a two-team town. And unfortunately, I picked the Dockers to go for and it hasn't been, um, you know, very successful uh, ride with them but I was lucky enough in one of the teams I coached that we ended up winning a flag and um, not many people get to do that and yeah that was a pretty special moment in my footy footy days so yeah. And when you're talking about footy you're talking about Aussie rules for those people who don't understand that look it up look up AFL and you'll be able to sort of understand what he's talking about so two teams of Fremantle and West Coast Eagles here in Perth um, so yeah what, where did the Fremantle um, affiliation come from because yeah they're like the is it they are the most, they're the least successful team in the history of the sport? Yeah. So um, <laughs> when I was <laughs> when I was um, when I was five, they came in as a team, and um, I wasn't really kind of. I was actually my, my nickname growing up was the Lumpy Luke because I was a really like short, fat kid, and um, never really was good at any sport. Didn't really get into Oz Kick, but when Freo came in as a brand new team, I was like, oh, I'll jump on the bandwagon and, and go for them. Um, but yeah, not much has happened since then. Um, they've made one one grand final, and um, I shared a mate from school who played played for them uh, for probably seven or eight years, and he still plays AFL, but for a different side. Um, but yeah, but in terms of my love for footy, I just I just think it's the best game in the world. And I think um, when round one happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was the only professional sport in the world being played at that time. So ESPN and, and all these massive, you know, sporting channels in the US were playing um, a lot of the AFL games. So yeah, I think there were quite a few people in America. Yeah, and like, like I saw there was a tweet from, I forgot what NBA player it was, but a pretty high profile one. And he was saying he was watching the Frio Essendon game and he was rooting for Frio. And I was like, no, you idiot. What are you doing? <laughs> Don't go for him. <laughs> I did see a tweet. It was like um, something about Frio being the equivalent of like Detroit or something in the NBA or not the NBA, the baseball or something like that. It was like equivalent of like the worst franchise in history. So it was just like, I found that hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, it's, but, it's funny yeah. that they got so close. They, they made a, they made a grand final. Yeah. Um, and they just kicked really poorly and they lost by, I think it was 14 or 15 points, but 
um, I went to that game, you know, like thinking that's going to be the time that we're going to win the flag. And um, yeah, like we all dressed up in these like Frio onesies. And then like walking home after they lost was probably the lowest point. You know, in my life, I reckon. Pretty, pretty depressed. <laughs> well, it's quite funny. Like, I'm sort of like a West Coast affiliate now because of the household I live in. They're all mad West Coast fans. But um, I was always a Swans guy before that when I lived in, when I grew up in Newcastle and Sydney. So it's quite funny how things change. But if it's a two team town, you can't really change your team just because one's successful, can you? Yeah, um, my entire and- family goes to the Eagles. So I get pretty, uh, uh, I get. Get kind of like slaughtered at the dinner table and at the birthday parties and stuff like that. Everyone gives me a lot of crap. So, oh, well, just think how good it will be when they actually get get ahead. But anyway, enough on footy. So, what what? So, you, I know you, you got into paddle sports, which was originally prone paddling, um, and then sup after an injury in uh, footy. So, what what happened with the growth spurt that made you not be able to to play anymore? Oh, no, the growth spurt was just like, I just grew all in one go and I was like kind of good when I was younger. Um, yeah. And then as I progressed uh, through kind of year 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I just got worse and worse because everyone got bigger and bigger. And yeah, just so um, everybody no, knows, just so everybody knows, Luke's is about as tall as I am, so he's not very tall. <laughs> I just want to um, make sure everyone knows I'm about an inch taller than Booty. So, uh, um, <laughs> on a good day, well, when you're wearing heels. No, yeah. uh, but um, when I was... When I was 21 or 22, um, I got really sick, my, my appendix burst, um, and I uh, was in hospital for about a month. Um, I had three or four surgeries, and I went from like 75 kilos at the time down to the low, the low 50s, um, and I was like super ill. Um, wow. There was a, a bit of a time there for a while where um, they were kind of pretty worried. I was pretty on the edge, but... Um, like I don't think if I was as fit as I was before that going into it, I don't, I don't think I would have kind of made it out like I did. So, um, but pretty much after that, I had this, you know, you know, huge abdominal wound. Um, and it took me, you know, six, seven months to recover from that. Um, so and, obviously like perforated uh, and like affected your bowel and the things around. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So you get this thing called peritonitis, which is the infection of your abdominal lining. So yeah. pretty much all your organs and stuff kind of stop working as well as they normally do. So, um, but yeah, I was, I, I remember coming out of hospital and I hadn't actually looked at myself in the mirror properly and I looked like an old man. Like I didn't have any calves, like my yeah. quads were completely gone. My arms so not, were like... So not much has changed? You just nah, so I've only, I've only put on five kilos since. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, yeah, so I was, I was really ill and really, really, like, frail. Um, it took a long time to recover from that. And kind of footy was kind of out of the question from there. Like, getting a high impact on that kind of wound or that, that area, again, could be pretty dangerous. So that's why I moved into coaching and, and that's where I kind of fell in love with that. But for my own, like, benefit, like, I was like, oh, I need to find something to kind of motivate me. And I remember when I was on the couch recovering, I watched the documentary of Wes Berg and Joel Parkinson doing the Molokai as a team. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And, and I, you know, I've surfed all my life. And I was like, oh, Parko can do it. I, I reckon I can do it. So yep. um, I ended up buying a prone paddleboard from the Huikai and um, just started paddling. Like, no experience. I've never been at surf clubs or anything like that. And, um, yeah, so I just started learning. And I've got a friend of mine, Zach Haynes, who's a big wave surfer from over here. And me and him did it in the team the first year. And, um, yeah. What, was what just, year was that? Uh, that would have been 2014. Okay. So and how was that experience? And, um, well, it was, it was interesting because um, I started training for that probably in January. And as you know, um, living over here, we kind of lose the wind kind of February, March. Yeah. Um, so we just pretty much trained flat water. And then we rocked up to the Molokai and it was like proper like 20 knots and kind of like big seas and um yeah we uh, my partner zach had just spent three months in port escondido surfing big waves so neither of us kind of like were in top condition but um we managed to get like not a bad time i think we just got just over six hours in our first time which is pretty good but that first year i did it was really cool because i got to like meet the prone paddleboard community and you know i met i know you had geordie on the other day 
Um, and, you know, I met Darren as well. And those guys are, you know, amazing and really supportive. Um, and I met Lockie Lansdowne. I know you know him as well. Um, yeah, great guy. And, uh, yeah, absolute legend. Um, and like Lincoln Jews and Kurt Lager and all these guys. And um, that first year I did it as well. Brad Gould, um, he's won it twice, I think. Yeah. Um, he really supported us to get over there and kind of like help us get into the race and all of that. So we met this like community of friends who were just awesome and like so friendly and helpful. Yeah, no, it is, it is such an amazing community. And I think in paddle sports in general, you've got like the Surski guys, the OC, the, the SUP, the FOIL, the, the prone. It's like, it's all sort of like a big paddling community. I think we all sort of jump in between each, each different one. I guess the idea of sort of doing a podcast like this is actually trying to bring all those sort of different sports together because it's kind of like the same sport. We're all paddling. We're just doing it a little bit different ways. Yeah, um, sure. So, so you've had that experience and you've, you've done it with your mate. You've gone back the next three years. Is that right? Next two years. So I did it three yeah. years in a row. Yeah. Um, so the, the next year we did it uh, as a fundraiser for Ocean Heroes. Um, so I did it with um, a guy called Jason Vivian. Um, and this guy is like the most nice, calm, cool, collected dude, like pretty awkward as well. But you put him in a competitive environment and I do not know anyone in the world who gets more wild. And um, we did it the year that the Molokai was flat and there was that massive swirl and there's that photo of Travis Grant going down that huge yeah. wave center. It was unlimited. And, did you get to do that yeah, last section? Yeah. What was that? Did you get to do the last section coming into Hawaii, Kai? Yeah, so, so I, was, I jumped on as we went around the buoy because they put a buoy outside of China Wall so you couldn't catch those kind of big waves breaking off there. But there was still waves like, breaking through the boat channel. So we managed to get a couple, but, you know, like we snuck through when not, none of the big sets kind of came through, but it would have been absolute carnage, like, I just remember like being so tired. It was like 35 degrees and like, um, like zero wind. So you could imagine that channel just flat as anything and having to paddle that. And then yeah. we had the current against us for the kind of like last hour and a half heading into China Wall. So kind of getting through that section was like, oh, we were kind of like thankful that we didn't get kind of smashed. So Yeah, it must have been a long day at the office. How long did it take you that year? More, I think over seven and a half hours. I think it was wow. a pretty long time. Yeah. So you almost did a Molokai each for the amount of time you spent out there to compare Mate, to like a was, good condition. Yeah, well, the foil was doing like two and a half or something like that. So yeah, it's um, insane. Hey, yeah. So it was pretty pretty gnarly that year, and I think everyone kind of appreciates it when there's even just fifteen knots or twelve knots of wind. Yeah. And what drew you to do the Molokai? Because obviously it's a it's a, it's a race in Hawaii. It's, it's a long way away. Was it about the adventure, the journey, the experience, like doing something completely different? Like what, what made you go over and do it the first time and, and going back for three years in a row? Uh, I think it's something that every paddler needs to do. Whether or not you do it in a team or solo, it's like a full experience. Um, what initially drew me to it was it was like the race. Like it was the race that everybody wanted to do. And um, there was no race in the world that was kind of more like gnarly, like you're crossing this like super deep channel between two Hawaiian islands. Um, and, you know, like the, the benefits of, of going across to Hawaii and paddling in, in our winter back home, you know, you get to go somewhere where it's nice and warm. And um, that was the initial kind of draw. But then like, as I did it the first time, it was more the community that kind of brought me back and, you know, I've made lifelong friends through doing the Molokai and met so many cool people that have, um, you know, inspired me through my journey. And, um, yeah, like I'd love to go and do it again on a SUP. That's kind of like my next goal in paddling. But, um, yeah, I just, I just love the race for what it is. I think it's the ultimate challenge in paddling for sure. Did you do it in a, as a solo or did you always do it as a team? No, I always did it as a team on the prone. Yeah. Um, so the, the next, the last year I did it, I did it with Sam Moyle, um, okay. who's yep. the other co-founder of Ocean Heroes. Um, and we did it together and, um, yeah, we were like, we were pretty fit and strong at that point. Um, but about six weeks before the race, I fractured my radial head and my elbow. Um, oh, so no. we, how'd you do that? Pretty much, 
train. I think Moyle was actually up in the Kimberley working on the boats as well just before yeah. we left. And then we got over there and, um, yeah, we spent like two weeks in Hawaii before the race to acclimatise. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't much <laughs> acclimatising. Yeah, lots of, lots but, of um, beers and laying on the beach, I'm sure. Yeah. And then, um, and then we got into the race and it was um, 2016. And it was like, you know, some squalls and rain coming through. But um, we, we thought we'd be real smart and go kind of like on a more north line. And then as soon as we got to that kind of angle we wanted to start heading downwind, this big squall came through and just sucked all the wind out. It almost went glassy for like two hours. Um, oh, so that was a bit of a grind as well. But um, again, like way better than the flat year. <laughs> that was yeah. How is it though? Like, it's, it's everyone's preparing for this big, like, ocean race a lot of the time. Like, they're like, oh, it's going to be so good. We're going to be downwind. And then you go over there. And I've had one one sort of flat year, but it's always been like at least a little bit of bump in the surf ski. I remember it was like 2013, and there wasn't like that much wind or assistance, but you could still catch things because it was like the ocean. But there is years where you go over there, and it's like dead flats, calm. You, you basically wash sitting across the channel. But then you're preparing for like a downwind race. How hard is that when you get over there? You're just like, whoa, like I go for a downwind race. I have to have a flat now. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I, I still remember this conversation I had with Jamie Mitchell. And he's like a 10-time winner of, it, of the prone. Um, absolute legend waterman. And um, he helped us. We got some JM boards for our 15 and 16 molokais. Um, and then he helped us kind of get over there and all that. Absolute legend again, another person in that prone community who will just give you a shirt off his back. Um, but I was sitting down with him at a table, I can't remember where it was. And um, I said to him, I was like, Oh, it's really sucked this year, it wasn't very downwind, like the angle wasn't really good. And he looked at me and goes, Why do you think it's a downwind race? And I was like, Oh, I thought it was. And he's like, Molokai is never a downwind race, it's cross shore, like the whole way, like yeah. you're cutting right hard the entire time. And, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, like, when you think about it, it's never really proper downwind, like, no. especially what like, we get over here. And, um, yeah, it's really technical. It's definitely not an easy run, no matter what. Well, the hard thing about going over to Molokai, especially coming from Perth, like, we're used to getting the southwester, which is over our left shoulder. And you go to Hawaii and everything's coming over your right shoulder because you've got that sort of, like, generally that north swell coming down. And then you've got that basically that east, I think it's an easterly blowing across or westerly not sure which way it's going, but it's basically, yeah, it's coming right across you. So you've got the swell like almost going like directly across you. And then you've got the, the wind sort of going half across you. So if you're constantly having to cut, like I know there were segments in the Molokai for me last year, I was watching the video. It looked like I was just going against everything. I was like, it doesn't look like a downwind race. It looks like a, a crosswind race. And I think Jamie sort of summed it up really well there. Yeah. 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 And definitely. Then, uh, go on. No, 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 you go. Yeah, well, he definitely kind of like put it in perspective for us. And then kind of that last year that we did it, we made sure that we trained in that kind of cross your conditions. And um, yeah, like that definitely helped us kind of uh, get through the race a bit better. But I, I think when people head into it thinking that they're going to be surfing bumps the whole way, that's not the case. Um, yeah. Especially if you're on like a 12 foot prone. Like those, those little 12 foot prones are like, if, it, if you reckon like Molokai's hard, jump on one of those because it's like the guys who do that solo and smash it like Lockie, like unreal, like amazing. Yeah, it must be uh, just incredible how they just lay down and paddle for that long. Like I remember doing the INX at the start of this year. I've prone paddled in the past, but jumping back on the prone again, I was just like, oh my goodness, like, this is just so hard. I'm just like struggling so much. So to be able to do that for four plus hours, I don't know how they do it, but I guess everyone's got their own little talents that they have. So you, you've gone over to Molokai and, you, and you, generally you're doing this for Ocean Heroes at this stage, I believe. You're sort of trying to raise money for the charity Ocean Heroes. How did Ocean yeah. Heroes start? Yeah, so um, before I worked for Ocean Heroes, I was a personal trainer and um, I kind of jumped out of school and went straight into it. And um, I had no real experience with disability before that. Um, and then one day this, this mum came into the gym and. She had this little eight-year-old girl with her and she was like, oh, look, you know, I'm homeschooling this girl and, um, you know, I really wanted to exercise because, you know, she's not at school, she's not doing PE anymore. Um, and she was like, oh, and she's also on the autism spectrum. I didn't really know anything about autism at that stage, but 
to me, this, this girl just looked like any other girl, you know, that wanted to come and exercise. So, um, you know, she was only eight. So we did like, you know, lots of fun stuff in the gym and, you know, it was all about just moving and, and getting her like, you know, using lots of different joints and, you know, trying different things and gaining confidence. But we had some amazing results with her, like her self-esteem and her confidence grew so much that she went back into mainstream schooling, which is, you know, just huge for a child's development. Um, but this particular mum is like the, the absolute, you know, legend of the autism community of Perth. You know, she does everything for anybody that, you know, needs help or has just had a child diagnosed. And, um, and she pretty much spread the word. And I was like a 20 year old or a 21 year old at that stage. And then all of a sudden I had 50 clients on the spectrum, like training with me of all different levels, you know, non-verbal, you know, severely disabled people to people who like, you would just be like amazed at the skills that they have. And um, yeah, just built this like niche little business. Um, but one thing I noticed about all of these people on the spectrum was that none of them were going to the beach and none of them were definitely surfing. No one had even tried it. Um, and I was thinking, well, you know, as I said earlier, like if you live in Perth, like the whole reason we live here is for our beautiful beaches, you know? Like if these people are missing out on that, that's like a pretty bad thing, you know? That, and there's no reason why they can't go. Um, so I started looking in and then um, I found online this charity in California called Surfers Healing. And um, like I looked into it and it just so happened to be that about two months after when I was looking at them, they were holding a surfing event at Manly in Sydney. So I was like, oh, cool. Like I'll email them. I'll go across and check it all out. And I went over and it was just amazing what these guys do. You know, they tandem surf with the kids. They put them on the, like, paddle them out, like catch waves, pick the kids up, like surf all the way in and give these kids an experience that they've never had in their lives. And I was like, yeah, like I want to bring this to Perth. And, you know, we were speaking about that isolation before, like Perth is a long way from anywhere. And, um, you know, it's really expensive to bring, you know, 10 surfers, you know, from California all the way over to, you know, Perth, Western Australia. And so myself and Sam Moyle, who I mentioned before, who's the other co-founder, got together with um, Jason and um, who I did the Molokai with that year. And we, and Steph and um, also Shelley and another guy called James Back. And we just raised a whole bunch of money to bring these guys over to Perth. Um, and they came in March of 2016, I'm pretty sure. And we held this one-day event at Trig. And it was just unreal. Like, the, the kids just had an absolute ball. I think it was around 50 or 60 kids all went surfing for the first time. And a lot of the WA surfing community came out for the first time, uh, came out to help. And um, actually, Cam McKay, who you know really well as well, Boothie, he um, gave us the boards to, to use that day. And as soon as this event was finished, surface healing were gone and we were kind of faced with this, um, do we raise a whole bunch of money again to bring these guys over for one day or do we just do this ourselves and for the same money, hold seven, eight, nine events in a year? Um, so myself and Sam Moyle and another guy, uh, Tom Johnston, who's another co-founder of Ocean Heroes, we got together and, and we, um, we sat down and said, hey, let's do this. Let's, let's give it a crack. And um, we held our first event in May, two months after, um, down at Leighton Beach. And, you know, you've been to Leighton before, Boothie. It's very rarely got big waves, but the, our very first event, I've never seen Leighton that epic. It was like head high perfect A-frames, tubing, spitting, and, yeah. like, we were taking these kids out. And, like, at that time, man, we were just cooking it so bad, like, so many wipeouts. Yeah, that, and, yeah. Um, we actually had um, uh, one of those big sup, what are they called, the, like, six-person sups, sup squatch? Oh, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, the big starships, or depending on which brand you get, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, and, um, and, yeah, we had one of those, and we took that out, and we folded one of those in half, like, going down a wave, and... Yeah, oh. but that was that was our first event, so that was that was kind of how it all started. Yeah, awesome. So you've basically taken um, a, a concept and an idea, and you've taken the money and the, and the energy that you had, and you've and you've sort of just forwarded on because obviously you've started with one client with autism, and you've obviously really worked well with that young girl, and you've moved into trying to help lots of different people. What is it about 
helping people with autism um, get out there and, and into the community that really drives your passion to keep on trying to do it? Yeah, so um, it, for those people out there who don't know a lot about autism, it's a, it's a spectrum. So on this spectrum, you've got, you know, at one end, people who, you know, have no speech. Um, they maybe can't even follow instructions. Um, some people who, you know, really struggle socially. Um, they won't be able to take on social cues or, or different things like that. Um, so hence, like, the team sports stuff where they would go and exercise normally in school, they're probably not going to achieve well in that um, with those sort of things that they're dealing with. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got some of the most bright, amazing people who, um, you know, have changed the world for what we know. You know, there's some really famous people who've, you know, started businesses um, who are on the spectrum um, or at least, you know, um, uh, uh, big parts in, in what have kind of moulded our, our lives as people. Um, there's a lot of evidence that points towards... Um, uh, Albert Einstein has been on the spectrum and, and Thomas Edison. Um, but just it, the way they look at the world is so different to how we would perceive it as well. Um, but one thing that these people never get the opportunity or very rarely get the opportunity to do is to go and push those boundaries. So to go out into the scary ocean in a safe way. Um, because you can't just chuck somebody with a severe disability into a group surfing lesson with one instructor and 10 kids, you're just not gonna achieve anything. So that one-on-one -on -one help and that one-on-one -on -one support is totally necessary. So that's kind of where my passion comes from in, in seeing how these kids can progress from point A to point B. It might be different going from A to B like we would, but they can still get there. And that's the whole reason why I do what I do. It's quite incredible, like the, the story and your experience, and you basically just it's, uh, someone's come to you and you've just gradually made it better and better and better for these people. Because I know for myself personally, if I didn't know you, I would probably know nothing about autism. Like, my ignorance was basically to the extent of autistic kids were just the naughty kids at school. And because I just didn't know anything, like, I wouldn't know about, I didn't know about the spectrum, I didn't know about the different, uh, like, I guess, levels or different um, way that they talk like you were talking about before you got like the people who um don't have any like they don't talk but they like they obviously doing a lot of actions i remember you were teaching me down at the beach one time down at trig and i was taking the kids down you're like okay so this next kid is this and like, he, he can't do these types of things but he'll respond to this and you really know like the kids really well like you spend a lot of time and your hours actually not like not i guess studying the kids but in a way really learning how to help shape their futures and I think that's really commendable. And I, I think people like yourself in the, out there in the community who are actually doing this work is, is helping community move forward. And uh, I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, I think um, this byproduct of autism awareness from Ocean Heroes to like the community and especially the people in our kind of generation has been something that we didn't really think would kind of happen. And it has just blown up. Like we've got probably around 40 to 50 core volunteers who are just the ultimate autism ambassadors now. Like they know everything about every kid that comes down. Um, you know, we have 150 kids that come down to our events each time. And, um, you know, most of the kids have been with us now um, and surf with us and we can really push those boundaries. But uh, I think that that awareness, like you were saying, like before Ocean Heroes, like unless you're exposed to it, you're not really going to learn about autism. You're not really going to learn about stuff that's not in your circle. Um, yeah. But come down to our events, you're going to be exposed straight away and you're going to learn a lot in a real short period of time. And I think it's um, as well, like with Ocean Heroes, it's such a great way to volunteer because it's so hands-on. Like you can change somebody's life by taking them surfing, not necessarily because they're going to surf for the rest of their life, but that kid might gain confidence from that to then try new things in their life outside of surfing. So they might want to go try rock climbing or try, you know, riding their bike for the first time or something like that. So it's totally a life-changing experience for those kids and a, an awesome experience for, for all of our volunteers. You're giving, yeah, you're giving the kids this new experience, but as you're talking about, you're giving the, the volunteers and the helpers that experience as well. 
I know when I've come down a few times and probably I would have liked to come down more than I have, but uh, my schedule hasn't allowed it. But knowing that I go down then I actually get more out of it than the kids do, I think. But you really feel like that sense of community, that sense of helping and that sense of like you're, you're helping someone with their life. And it's just like, it's almost like directly, like when you see the, the smiles in the kid's face once they get on that wave and they're just so stoked and they, and they express it in so many different ways. That was something that really drew me to it and, and sort of, help myself sort of become a bit of an ambassador and a sort of a self-educator for people out there in the community who probably wouldn't know anything about autism because I, I was that person. So it's quite cool that you're sort of having that effect on the, on the community with your, with your partners. Yeah, for sure. I think um, as well, like with a bunch of our volunteers, like in terms of how much they enjoy it, we've got a guy called Alex Jenkins and you see him when he catches a wave with the kids and he's got his arms up in the air and, you know, he's always kind of like, you know, has this huge like, you know, stoke all over his face every time he takes his kids surfing. Um, sometimes we, we often say, oh, Jenko's actually doing it for himself. He's not actually doing it for the kids because he loves it so much. But, um, but then we have like so many different levels of volunteers. Like we've had people right from the start um, who've like really um, become these people who we trust so much that we'll give kids to them to take out and they'll teach new volunteers what to do. And, um, you know, that's been this, this awesome byproduct of Ocean Heroes. It's this community that's formed, you know, just from us running these events down at the beach. Yeah, it is quite a community too, because I know you're expanding constantly. You're trying to put on more events. Your events sell out on Facebook every single time within minutes. It's, it's really quite incredible to see. And I know you try and cater for every single family out there with autistic kids and it, it is really really important work that you're doing how are you sort of as a, as a sort of a charity business how are you being able to to cope with the demand and trying to expand at the same time because obviously a lot of your stuff relies on funding from government grants funding from potential sponsors like we i know we've done charity paddles to to help try and raise money for ocean heroes how, how have you sort of found that whole process yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, when we first started Ocean Heroes, um, Sam, Bomber and myself, we sat down and we were kind of like, you know, what avenues can we chase? And we started looking at grants and, and stuff like Lotteries West, which are great for non-for-profit organisations. And um, we got really good at, at like applying for grants and, you know, going to sponsors and, and, you know, asking, you know, do you guys want to be a part of this? And, um, you know, there's... It was kind of like three years where that was our only income was grants, fundraising, and then getting donations. So, um, but we've always been really active and, and you know, um, we've always done the, the Rotto swim and um, Sam's done it solo and raised a bit of cash. And then there's other volunteers who've done it in teams. And, um, and then we've had the HBF run for a reason. That's always been a huge one. Um, and then we've done quiz nights and movie nights. And then we have our big summer launch, which is like a big fundraising party. Um, you came to, not the last one, the one before that, I think it was. Yeah, I think it's um, always on when there's an event on at the same time, sort of around the same, like yeah. the same time you put the event on. But one of the years I could make it because it either got cancelled or I stayed an extra night and then flew the day later. It was, uh, yeah, it was really, really yeah. cool. And such a, like, it's a good, it's like a party. It's just a family environment, but everyone's sort oh, of there for, for the same yeah. reason and you wear your, wine party shares which i think is a real theme with yourself and with the charity which uh, is really really fun and it's a great community to be involved with yeah and um but i definitely think as a not-for-profit there's a certain point where you've got to start creating a revenue stream to make yourself sustainable and to also expand so we're at this point now where we've started doing these one-on-one sessions so that the kids or the adults who want to come surfing can book in for an hour-long session down at Brighton Beach um, and they can use funding that they can access from the NDIS or other avenues um, to, to pay for that hour-long session. Um, and that's kind of what we've progressed into. And that's going to make Ocean Heroes not just this charity that does seven, eight events in Perth and a couple of regional events around Western Australia. It's going to turn Ocean Heroes into this, you know, this proper, like, organization that is you know making you know huge strides for people with autism especially in wa um so and that's kind of where we've stepped into 
and January was amazing. We had so many sessions um, and even in February during school. And then obviously with what's going on at the moment, we've had to put everything on hold, but you know, there's still stuff we can do from behind the scenes. And, um, and as soon as we can, as soon as we're allowed, we'll be back out there doing the one-on-ones and the school holiday programs. So now you're looking at um, like COVID-19, it's sort of taken control of everyone's lives in some way or another. Well, now you sort of get time to sort of work in the business. So you're sort of, are you always working like in the business? You're always like trying to create new opportunities, trying to create like, okay, we're going to take these kids down this day. We're going to do this event. We're going to always be planning. But now you can actually really lay those foundations for the next step for Ocean Heroes. What, what are you, so what are you really doing right now to, to lay those foundations? And what is like the overall goal for Ocean Heroes? Is it like, a, do you want to be the biggest like charity in the world? Like what is, what is your goal? <laughs> um, so pretty much right now, I'm a full computer nerd. Pretty much everything I'm doing involves registering to the NDIS, um, organising the back end of what we do. So in terms of, you know, we're trying to put our merchandise online, we're trying to do streamline our registration processes, we're trying to make the back end as strong as possible so that when we are ready to jump back in and run lessons and run our big events, Again, it's just going to be totally seamless. Um, I think there's been issues with our registration processes in the past that um, using Eventbrite, they can't cater for how many people want to register at once for our yeah. events and the, the actual website crashes and it has to reset. Um, you know, we have, you know, 150 people clicking register at the same time and, you know, that tends to not do well for websites, especially when we're not paying for it. Um, so they are, yeah, so we're trying to figure out a better way to, to utilise our registration processes as well. And we're, we're also um, putting out surveys to our participants and their families and we're trying to figure out the huge social benefit that, that we are creating in the community from surfing with people with autism. Um, and that's something that has never been looked into before. Um, so that's something we're doing at the moment with Hoover Social, which are like a, a social... Uh, they're like a, a company that looks at social benefits um, by like businesses and charities. So that's kind of where we're at. But in terms of what we want to do with Ocean Heroes, we believe that everybody with autism should have the opportunity to learn to surf. And that's why we do what we do. Um, I think, you know, that looks like having Ocean Heroes set up in every state in Australia. I definitely think that that's a possibility in the future. Um, we recently did a... a Ocean Heroes event at the Urban Surf Wave Pool in Melbourne. Yeah, um, really and that cool. just opened up like, just this huge possibility to doing Ocean Heroes events in, in country towns and, and stuff like that. Like that, that event was just amazing. Like what we could do with the technology that they have for these kids is just endless. It's huge. Yeah, actually, I remember I was at your 30th and you were saying how at Urban Surf you were like, oh, they're pitching a little bit too much and you just like, to make the wave a little bit less, less pitchy and like could we make it roll a little bit and the guy's like yeah no problems boom <laughs> and it's just like the next sets all came through and they were perfect yeah it's actually like amazing so in terms of like for what we do with the big you know 10 foot boards that we're you know we really want rolly waves we don't want like steep waves and the first set they sent through it was like full nosedive city everyone was just like nailed um so like we got on the walkie talkie to the guy who's controlling it up in the tower and he was like, how was that? And we were like, oh, can you just like dial it down a bit? And all they do is just turn this dial, I'm pretty sure. And they have all these settings, like 1 to 27 or whatever it is. And they just dial it down. And then the next set that comes through, they can say, it's going to have six waves, if it's going to be like this, or it's going to have 12 waves. And it's just incredible. Like, they've nailed it. Um, and then in terms of surfing for ourselves, like, I surfed it four times. Um, after that event and like on the intermediate and advanced and for what it is it's incredible like yeah. it's just surreal you can't explain how cool it is and um, you know we're really I think unfortunate to not get it here in Western Australia and hopefully you know we'll get ones you know in the, in the future at some point but yeah like for us at Ocean Heroes like we cancel events because of the weather all the time so yeah. if we could have a pool that we could do it in, you know, once, twice, three times a year, um, that would just change Ocean Heroes forever for the better. 
And um, I should just give a shout out to Adam Lamond, the guy who kind of got us over there and, and um, helped us run the event. Um, he's an absolute legend, WA local, um, and just really wants to help. So uh, he really kind of got us over to Urban Surf and um, put us in touch with the right people. So if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have done that event. Yeah, it, from the sounds of things and what you're saying, it is so important to have um, those those great people helping that your organisation move forward because without those people in your community helping you move forward and opening up doors for you, it, it does make it a little bit harder. Are there any other like influential people that you've had um, with Ocean Heroes to help you guys sort of reach out to more people? Because from the sounds of things, like your goal overall is just to help more people. You just want to help as many people as you can. And I think people see that and then they want to help you yeah for sure so we're we're really lucky we've got an amazing board um so when we first started ocean heroes we went and approached um andrew whitehouse who's like the leading professor in autism research in the world um and we're lucky enough to have him here at telecom kids in perth and um, we kind of had a meeting with him and told him what we were doing and he was just all about it he was like this is the coolest thing ever so we brought him down to an event and we put him in a wetsuit and made him come out in the water and, and um, you know, help take kids surfing. Um, and then he was, you know, uh, awesome enough to, to accept our invitation to join our board. And um, he's been somebody who's really helped us grow um, in terms of from the autism community side. Um, and then from the business side, um, our treasurer on our board is Nando. Um, and if you've ever met Nando, this guy's an absolute legend. Um, he, like, is the full money man. Um, but if it wasn't for him, I think us three, you know, Sam, Bomber and myself would not have got Ocean Heroes off the ground anywhere near as fast as, as what we did without Nando's help. So um, he's been an absolute legend. Um, we're also lucky enough to have a great lawyer on our board, Patrick Corr, um, who's a, a local surfer as well, and then a paediatrician, Andrew Hark. Um, he's been huge for us. Great surfer, really good with the kids. And then we have um, uh, my fiance Steph. She's from a physio point. She's on our board as well, and, and she's she's a huge help as well as Michaela Jackson um, as well. She's amazing from a volunteer standpoint. She's been down since the start and always willing to help out. Yeah, it's quite cool, like the the amount of people that you have on your board and and really helping you guys out. Because as I said before, like it made me want to help you out because I could just see how much momentum you guys had and. I really wanted to be able to help in, in any way I could. And that sort of led to that um, Dunsborough to Perth paddle we did uh, years ago to raise money for Ocean Heroes. I think we probably raised about six grand or something like that. Not sure how much it was exactly. 16, I think it was. 16? Oh, was it 16? Sorry. 10 grand, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a really incredible experience. I remember you texting me a couple of weeks out, I think it was, and you're like, hey, we're going to do this paddle. Do you want to come down? And I was like, check my car. And I was like, hey, I'm not doing anything. That sounds like a really good fun. And, we paddled all the way from um, Dunza Broke Ramp into, what was, what was that beach called? The coast, is it? Bathers Beach. Bathers Beach. Um, how did you come up with that concept? Like, did you always want to do that paddle or did you think it would raise awareness? Or um, we had a couple of other great people doing it. Like, what, 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 what made you want to do that? Yeah, so um, growing up, like, I've, I've always surfed and I've always driven down south and um, surfed, um, you know, down in the southwest, you know, ever since I was, like, you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, when I got my car, when I was 17, I used to wag school and drive down south all the time. So I've driven, I've driven that road, I reckon, oh, well over 100, 150 times. And, um, you know, I'm lucky enough that my family has a house in Dunsborough and, you know, I've spent a lot of time down there. And, um, yeah, I just, I always thought ever since I got into paddling, I was like, oh, how cool would it be to, to paddle from Dunsborough to Perth or, or vice versa? And, um, you know, I started looking at maps and seeing how far it was and, you know, how much you could do in each day and what time of the year you would want to do it with certain winds and all of that. And just kind of after the King of the Cup, I think it was like two days after the King of the Cup we, we started, was it, in yep. December? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the idea that I wanted to do. And, and as I said, at Ocean Heroes, we love fundraising and we often do silly things like the Rotto Swim or like I did the HBF run for a reason in a full-length steamer. So a 12k run. That. Yeah. That, so that, was probably, that was probably the worst thing I've ever done. I reckon. <laughs> I would never <laughs> do that. 
Yeah, um, you'd have been so I, hot. Oh, my goodness. You'd have been, like, overheating and just been, like, oh. oh it's terrible. Good. And then the worst thing is you don't have any clothes to get changed into. So you just have to jump on a bus with, like, 50 other people and then catch a train home. So I would have, like, you know, stunk, as you could imagine, in a steamer. And, yeah, it was pretty gross. But this Dunsra paddle, um, the idea to fundraise came once we kind of locked in the time um, to do it. And it was uh, yourself... Um, Alex Fazillo, who's uh, like a full madman prone paddler. Um, he's like a full misto dude. And Maybe probably one of the most creative... He, he is. He's, he's a super creative guy. He's like a carpenter, but not. And he does all these really cool things. And he makes all of his own boards. And he actually made that board for the paddle. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. Um, and it probably weighed like 30 kilos. <laughs> Way too heavy. <laughs> Yeah, and he and just then, averaged, uh, I think yeah. it was like he averaged seven kilometers an hour in any condition. He was always seven. Yeah, yeah. And I think when it was like that day where we went past Mandra and it was absolutely honking, I think he was like seven and a half. He just got that yeah. little bit quicker. Yeah, but, um, and then Cam Mackay, who, um, who's, you know, an absolute integral part of the South community um, in WA, he came along and did it with us as well. Um, but that was just an, an amazing experience to paddle that distance over those days um and yeah it was it was super super cool um definitely i remember that first day we started it was raining and, and like and headwind northwest yeah yeah and then um yeah we we're lucky enough after then to have just unreal conditions i think one day we did 70 k's um yeah from preston beach to Mandra or yeah, something like that. The doors that. were cut. We were like, kind of like, we should keep going. It's like, awesome. We should keep going. Because I remember coming yeah. into, I was one of my deaths down into Ever. So that 5K before doors were cut and it was just really standing up and it was just like perfectly behind you and you're just like surfing. It was so incredible. And yeah. we were just like, I can do more. Yeah, for sure. And that was actually the very first time I ever jumped on an unlimited sup was paddling out of that boat ramp in Dunsborough. I'd never been on one. I'd only ever been on 14s. Yeah, and I think it was a great way to learn because each day the wind got better and better and I started to learn how to use the rudder and when to step back and when not to. And Yeah, I just remember that day paddling to Dawesville Cut and just being like, this is the best thing ever. Like, downwinding yeah. on an unlimited is so good. Like, it was, and I had the exact same thought process because I was paddling the 14 the whole way because I was like, haven't done enough um, downwind paddling. I need to learn how to paddle my 14. I need to learn how to trim properly. So that was my opportunity to do 220 kilometers on my um, 14 foot st uh, starboard ace and like actually learn how to do it properly. And that was sort of integral to me starting to learn how to that, do that downwind stuff properly on the sup. Yeah. Cause, cause you're uh, you were just kind of like a flat water beast before that, weren't you? Yeah. Cause I, I didn't know how to trim the board in the, in the, in the surf. Like I knew how to paddle. So paddling was like the easy bit, but then actually trying to learn how to do the downwind was always a hard bit. And then, being able to do that paddle really helped me. So I was stoked to be a part of it. And then remember that next section we went from Dawesville cut through to like Rockingham, I think it was, or maybe not as far. And there was just like that section we were out in the middle and it was just amazing. I remember paddling with like, I think I was paddling with Cam at the time. It was just like, we were just surfing these bumps. And I think you were there too. And we were all stopping out in the middle and we all catch runs and then we stop. It was just awesome. It was one of yeah. the best things I've ever done. Yeah, that was the day that we paddled from the cut to Port Kennedy. And we yeah. paddled out and it was flat. It was really hot. So we paddled like almost straight west to get out real far. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden the wind went from like flat to like 25 knots in 10 minutes. It was yeah. just, I've never seen anything come in that fast. And I just remember like seeing like Cam in front of me on a bump and I was on the bump behind him. And we just didn't change position for like a minute. It was yeah. just amazing. Like never seen runners as smooth as clean as long as that it was incredible and how good is that like downwind paddling and actually surfing and, and feeling that that i don't know the ocean power and just moving along with it like i know it's pretty special to me like you obviously find it really special too because i know you go out there and you're downwinding most 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 summers like every day and you really enjoy it so what is that what is it that makes us want to do that well like i grew up surfing in wa and like we've got epic waves three hours south of Perth and a couple of hours north. But Perth itself, the waves are really poor, like really, really bad. Um, but one thing we have in Perth is this abundance of wind from like October through to February. Like some of the best wind in the world. 
And um, I just can't fathom why people only surf in Perth. Like, yeah. get wind sports, man. No matter what it is, you can wind surf, kite surf, downwind paddle, downwind foil, like some of the guys are doing now, OC1, like, whatever it is, get into it. Like, because it is like surfing for 12Ks or however long you're going for. It is so much fun. And when yeah. you really get it, it is just the best. It is like, I love downwinding, I reckon, more than I would surfing like really good waves. I reckon yeah. 25 knot wind is better than surfing good waves, I reckon, for sure. Yeah, it is. And I find that too, especially now that I'm learning how to do the foil more, like going down to Fremantle and then coming all the way to Sorrento and you're doing it in like, I don't know, just over an hour. And you're just going so fast for so long and you're just like, well, I need to go longer now. I need to go further down the coast so I can do more. It's just, it's just such an incredible feeling like to be able to, to surf for an hour or surf for an hour and a half or whatever it is. And, you, and you're not really changing anything. Whereas like if you go into the, the surf zone, it's Perth, it's quite hard because the, the waves are quite small. So you're not really getting that dynamic sort of taking off, down, getting a bottom turn, hitting the lip or whatever. You might get that a couple of times a year. Maybe it's Trig or Sorrento or down um, towards your end. But I think there's something really special about just being out in the elements just with the ocean by yourself and you're just like, and it's, and you're powering it as well. So you've got your paddle or you've got your arms or whatever you're doing with it. And you're actually just propelling yourself forward with the ocean. There's just like no better feeling really. Yeah. And that's something I love about paddling is you generally, once you start, you might all start in a group at the rock wall at Port Beach, but um, as soon as like a minute's up, you're all spread out and you're pretty much by yourself. And there's a lot of solitude in downwind paddling and, um, yeah, I really enjoy it. But sometimes you, you end up paddling with people who are just about the same speed as you. And, um, uh, you know, Daniel JJ, me and him have yep. always been like this for ages. He's improved, like, out of sight. Like, yeah. He's got he's a really, really, really well. good And there's Damo England as well. He's an absolute beast. Um, but it was always cool. Like, I remember being in Dan's position, like, 18 months ago, of trying to break the hour for the, the drummers yeah. downwind challenge. Yeah, and it took me forever. Like I was doing like hour one, hour fifty, hour twenty, and then like finally you break that hour, and then it's just like it's almost like as soon as you break that hour, you've nailed how to downwind properly by then. Like knowing like when to like cut off the runner and when to cut left and when to catch the big ones. And um, yeah, I definitely feel like ever since then, like I've enjoyed downwinding so much more and. Um, yeah, like it's, we're so lucky in Perth, you know, so lucky. And you touched on a good point there with downwinding. You have to learn the which ones to catch and which ones to miss and how to like fall off the back of one and then really accelerate onto the next one. And you're talking about um, Daniel now, like he's gone down to 55 minutes and you're talking about the drummer's downwind challenge as well. And that's 11.8 kilometres. We have this run in Perth. We, um, we record times all over summer. We, and it's run by Gordon Simpson and Travis England and, we start at the Brock Wall down at Fremantle and we paddle all the way around the first groin at City Beach. And they're just like, it's just a good community. And we, and we get to like sort of record our times against each other and sort of keep the, the community spirit going with paddling, which is great. Um, I want to touch on the point before you're talking about um, you've, you've had a lot of experience in raising money for charity. Um, I find that it's, it is quite a difficult thing to do because there are a lot of charities out there. And I, I noticed when I did the, even for the swim for Ocean Heroes, I think we raised a, a couple of grand for the Rotnest swim. But I found it so much harder than I actually expected. Like, how do you how do you approach raising money? Because you've got a lot of experience with it now. Um, if you if someone out there like trying to raise money for their local charity or Ocean Heroes, um, what what would what advice would you give them? Yeah, so like it's it's the hardest thing in the world to ask people for money. You know, like it's it is really challenging, and I think. Um, you've got to show value of where their money's going to go. Um, so we always like to put down that, you know, this money is going to go towards this many events in Perth and this many kids are going to get a try surfing for the first time. And, um, but in terms of timing and when to ask for money, like right now is probably the worst time in history to ask anybody to donate money. Um, yeah. You know, everybody's really financially, you know, struggling and, and there's a lot of uncertainty out there um, you know we're relatively lucky in western australia we've been sheltered from most of the gfc um but you know we're still getting hit hard with this coronavirus kind of outbreak and 
Um, yeah, it is really difficult, but I think the way of showing value, like instead of just being like, oh, donate to this charity, you know, I'm raising money for this charity because they do this, this and this, you need to show those people your money is going to go to this and show value. Um, and our biggest donors are generally parents who come down to our events because they see the value firsthand. Yeah. Um, and that's why we like to involve a lot of local business and, and people like that who could potentially become donors to us to come down to our events because the best way to show value from our perspective is to get people out there and get them hands-on and to show them the value of this kid who is so scared and so, you know, stimming and doesn't want to go out into the water and then a half an hour's time they're standing on a board and raising their arms up and you know they come in and they, they tell their mum and their dad they want to surfboard for Christmas and you know that change in half an hour that's huge and the value in that that's kind of where we like to, to focus and we think as a charity ourselves like we think when people do donate to us they know what they're going to get they know how many kids are going to go surfing and um yeah, like we're really lucky because what we do is so visually pleasing. Like if you've seen any of our videos or our photos online, you know, like generally of kids and volunteers just stoked and happy, you know, and, and that's kind of like the route that we take. But it is the hardest thing in the world to ask people for money for sure. Yeah, it, it is really hard. I've had a, I haven't had that much experience in it. And I know when I was doing the the charity swim when I, I didn't actually get wasn't directly involved because obviously when we were doing the the Dunsborough to Perth paddle you guys were sort of organizing all that where I had my first experience of doing it myself and yeah it was really challenging because you do want to make an impact and you do want to make a, a change for the better but it, yeah it is really challenging to ask people for money in that circumstance um so going so going forward um what what do you think that Ocean Heroes is going to look like in the next sort of six to eight, 12 months because of this COVID thing. Like we're all dealing with it in different ways. Um, I know you guys said you were like building your foundations and trying to help create things like, I guess, on the business, but can people start planning for things do you think, or you just got to really take it by ear and just see what happens. Oh, like I was chatting with Steph this morning about how when I turned 30, which was like a month ago, how different the world was. Um, and how much has changed in just like a month. Um, so in terms of planning and trying to book in events, like there is no way that we could do that without risking losing money. Um, so at this point in time, we're really trying to like solidify our foundations and make sure that we're as good to go as possible so that when the government pulls those restrictions back, which will happen, and I think people need to keep remembering that like this is not forever. It will happen eventually, but we just want to be ready so that as soon as we're allowed to, we can start doing our lessons, we can start booking our, our events again. And um, one thing that we, we love doing is we love our regional events. And unfortunately, we just had to cancel Esperance, um, which is our first one down there, and then our Denmark event, which could have actually been yesterday, which is like our favourite event of the year um, down there. But um, as soon as we can, um, we'll book in those events when we're allowed to, and we'll get back down there as soon as we can. And now that obviously you can't do your events and you can't get out there and do your normal things that you do with the kids, how are you helping the community that you've established to get through this time? Is there any sort of things you're trying to put out there where you're trying to put out videos or content or you're speaking to people? Like how are you trying to approach your community at this time? Yeah, so one thing that is going to be coming out relatively soon is we're going to do a surf-specific video for the kids to do at home. So we would like to do like pop-ups and like jumping up on the board and like, you know, all different exercises. And the idea is, is that they're still visually looking at surfing and understanding it. Um, and then it's also going to be like a little workout for them as well. Um, so that's one thing that we're going to be doing from this end as well as doing this video. Um, so that's all getting filmed this week. And um, yeah, hopefully it turns out really cool. So. And with the and with the families at the moment, like how do you think how do you, how much harder do you think it might be for a family with autistic children or autistic people in their family? Because I'm not sure how they approach change, and I don't think they approach it very well. I think they're very used to their routine. Um, how much harder is it for those um, people at this time? Oh, I couldn't imagine 
um, how hard it would be for some of these parents and for the kids as well. I was actually reading a post the other day, one of the parents put up that her child only drinks this type of fruit juice and that's the only fluid that that kid drinks. Um, and what she does is she dilutes it with water so that at least the kids are getting some water at the same time. Um, but unfortunately, with all this chaos buying, there was no more of that type of drink left for yeah. her to buy. And I think this is the thing that people forget when they go into the shops and are thinking about me, 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 is that there are people out there with like serious, you know, things that they need to like get on top of. And um, yeah, this mum was putting out over Facebook being like, please, if you have this type of drink, like he can taste the difference, he knows what it is and all this sort of stuff. So you can imagine how stressful that would be for that mum. But then also think about like kids not going to school, having that routine, that respite time for that family to, you know, when that kid's at school. Um, yeah, it would be incredibly challenging. I couldn't imagine how hard that would be. Um, but then again, you always want to bring back to this is not going to be forever. You know, it will, it will slow down and, and we will get to, you know, go back to doing our normal day lives. Hopefully very soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think most of like, the chat today, I think I've noticed that you really like helping people. You're really passionate about what you do. How important is that for somebody like, so say you're 29 now, but you've sort of found your passion in the past eight years since you first met uh, your first autistic girl when you were doing the gym programming with, with all these kids. Um, how important is it for each and every one of us to find our passion, especially in this time? Yeah, so um, I'm, a, I'm a bit biased, but I reckon that if you grow up in Australia, you have a duty to volunteer or to help out in some way. Um, I was listening to your podcast the other day um, with Stimo on it and Stimo is this like perfect case of like he will do anything for his community as soon as he's asked. Like he is the ultimate person in helping out and if people can take a leaf out of his book and just do their little bit in their community, it doesn't need to be as big as what Stimo does or starting a charity or whatever, but just help out around your community and if everybody did that, in their little kind of circle, it'd just make Australia like such a better place. Um, I also think volunteering is a great way to give yourself perspective where you think like currently our big problems at the moment is we have to stay home and, you know, like work from home and you can only go exercise in groups of two and stuff like this. Whereas those problems are relatively insignificant compared to what a lot of people are facing at this time. And, um, yeah, I think volunteering or helping in your community is a great way to bring yourself back down to, to the ground and, and have a better perspective of what your life is actually like and what to be thankful for. And I think that's something that, you know, we should instill in, in younger people. And that's why we're really big at Ocean Heroes and getting schools involved and volunteering, trying to get them down so that they can associate helping people with benefiting their own life as well. It is so important and you touched on a really good point there, like helping your community and actually giving yourself perspective because I know a lot of people are having hardships at the moment and they're, they're having to change the way that they do things. I know for myself, I've sort of struggled a little bit like mentally trying to work out what I'm going to do going forward because of like there is, it's just so uncertain. You can't plan for anything, but all you can do is wake up each day and try and do your best day. And with the volunteer side of thing and helping out other people, I think it does really help you with your perspective and coming into times like this, you can really, face that reality and go, okay, well, I have had an amazing time up to this point for the last 10 years or whatever it's been. And yeah, and now we've got a bit of a, a retraction and we've, or a contraction and we're trying to sort of move forward as well as going backwards at the same time. So we've got to look at those, those new things we can do. And I think helping out charities like Ocean Heroes or whatever charity that you're really passionate about and you have sort of a link to, I think is important as well. Cause I know for myself, I, I've always looked at like depression, um, and heart disease and those sort of things is like something that relates to me. And then obviously now being exposed to autism through Ocean Heroes and through yourself, it's really given me sort of a perspective on my life. When I think I'm having hardships, it's really easy to look at these things and go, okay, well, yeah, sure I am, but there's a lot, there's always somebody worse off than you and you can always help somebody else. Yeah, totally. I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, I think as well with, with you, Boothy, like I remember when I first met you, Oh, when was it? I reckon I first met you downwinding with Lincoln Jews. I think we did a yeah. downwinded together. Yeah, yeah, we did. We and, did uh, just before the King of the Cut. 
I think one year. It was yeah. me, Lincoln and yourself yeah. who went for a paddle. Yeah, and I remember like when I met you like the first time, you were like, like super like, let's go. And I was like, wow, this guy is like full on. Like I've never seen somebody who's like so energetic and like so like, Rah. and then yeah. like as I got to know you so much more, like in terms of my own paddling, like we used to train together a fair bit and um, you've always helped me um you know improve as a paddler and you've always been there to like, train with and give me tips and that sort of stuff and i think your involvement in the sub community in wa you've always been there to help um and you know there's people in wa sup who wouldn't be where they are today if they didn't have you kind of helping them um, i know like you guys spoke about jade lane but then there's like you know daniel jj's absolutely killing it now and um there's other paddlers around um, i don't know if Derek cross does some of you yeah, um, we've been paddling in the mornings, yeah. Obviously not right yeah. now, but yeah, we were starting to come on board and it's yeah. been really great working with Derek. Yeah, he, he's improved heaps as well. And it's cool to see he just bought that, that brand new board as well. So he's got he's really into the downwind scene now as well, yeah. which is awesome. So, um, yeah, but yeah, it would be good. I think with like the, the whole SUP community and the, like the Ocean Heroes community and all these different communities that we are in, it does help to really have those people who have helped me. Like, and I, I'm always trying to try and give back a little bit in a way to help others sort of be successful as well, because I've been so lucky to have such amazing people around me in my whole career. And uh, obviously it'll hopefully still keep going after this point and after this contraction, but it's, it's been great to be able to chat to people like yourself and actually hear your story and hear how you've helped different people or different people have helped you. And it, it's, it's all about give and take. I think it's always about, if we can give, we're always going to see it back. Like someone like Stimo, you've mentioned before, he's just, he, you say like he, when he gets asked to do something, he does it, but he does it before you even ask him to do it. And he always makes yeah. time for you. And those people are really special. And they're the people that you sort of look up to and you're like, okay, I want to be like this guy. Like how do I emulate someone like him? And yeah, that's something that I sort of, is always in my thought process when I'm trying to do things and when I'm trying to help out others. Yeah, definitely. And I think if everybody can take that little leaf, even if it's just helping this tiny little bit, you know, somewhere in your community, whether it's going to check on like an old neighbour or something like that or help out your mum and your dad or whatever, like that little help is like a domino effect and it just really does change that community in general. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important. And, you know, we're, we're lucky that we've got these communities around us um, and hopefully we can keep bringing people into them and, you know, helping everybody out. Well, mate, it's been absolutely awesome to talk to you today, as always. Um, I'll, I'm sure we'll talk straight after this and, and in many chats to come, but hopefully the viewers out there really see into like what Ocean Heroes is about. Could you um, give us a bit of a, an idea of where people can go to look, about, look up about Ocean Heroes and where they can potentially donate as well? Yeah, sure. So Ocean Heroes Australia is our Facebook page. Um, you can go to our um, website, oceanheroes.com.au or Instagram which is Ocean Heroes, and all the links to donate are on there. Um, we've got some great videos as well. We're also looking for heaps of volunteers. As soon as we can run events, we will. So if you do want to volunteer, if you're good in the ocean or if, you're, if you've got a background in helping people with disability, just send us a message on Facebook and we'll put you in the, in the right Facebook groups to come and volunteer. And um, as well, like I know that um, people are often looking to do like cool things and fundraise. If you're looking to fundraise for us as well, um, and you've got like a cool idea whether or not you want to do like a long paddle or a big run or whatever, just hit us up and we'll help you with all that sort of stuff as well. All right. Well, yeah, listeners, viewers, if you want to go find out about Ocean Heroes, please check out. Thanks again, Luke, for coming on. Um, if anyone's out there and has been enjoying the Boothcast, um, it's been really great to hear your feedback. So if you'd like, comment, subscribe on the various channels that it's going out. That really helps me sort of get this out to more people. And I guess the idea and sort of the, the community and the, the helping of others is really to come to the fore in this one and that's that's the idea behind the boothcast if you want to check it out in any other episodes please check out michael booth on facebook there's a section on facebook that's called boothcast you can go into that also if you want to listen to any of the podcasts we can you can look up on spotify itunes or any of your favorite podcast links so yeah really appreciate your support and i'm sure i'll do lots more of these in the future luke i really appreciate your time today and i'll see you next time cheers mate cheers